I love this church. Let's see what, the, what God has for us tonight. I, I, uh, I begin to uh, seek God, and I begin to uh, study, and I begin to uh, prepare for tonight. And uh, something that I felt like God's laid upon my heart, and I ask that you would, in just a moment, pray for me that God would help me uh, to deliver uh, this message like I feel it tonight. And I, I pray that you uh, see my heart tonight, and I hope I am transparent enough that you can see my heart tonight and what I want to share with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I'm glad Aiden's here tonight. It's my buddy right there. <clears throat> he came into the office. He said, Dad, what you preaching tonight? I felt like he was checking up on me. I, I, I felt like he was saying, Dad, you have something for tonight? Or are you just sitting in this office doing your thing? And... <laughs> I said, well, buddy, I don't have time to explain it all to you tonight, but I think you'll, you'll understand in just a moment. But I'm glad that he's feeling better tonight. 1 Corinthians 10, I'll read one verse of Scripture to you and you're hearing tonight, verse number 13. And the Word of God says, There hath no temptation taken you by such as is common to man. But... God is faithful. Aren't you glad to know that? I could I think I could just I think I could just put my notes aside and, and I, I think that right there that speaks to me right right there. That that phrase, God is faithful. And then the word of God goes on to say, Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able? But will with temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I wish that I could read a, a, a scripture to you tonight that says that you will never be tempted. I wish I could read a scripture that read something like, you will never have tests and you will never have trials and you will never have hardships. I can't read that to you tonight. But I can tell you that God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. And with that temptation, He will always make a way for you to escape. Somebody ought to give God thanks for that right now. Come on, somebody is going through the trial of your life right now and you ought to thank God that He's already made a way for you. You ought to thank God that He's made a way for you to escape. That this trial won't last always. That God is going to bring you through. And God's going to deliver you. And I want to, te- I want to talk to you for the next little while on this subject. Tested, tried, and proven. Tested, tried, and proven. Would you put your Bibles down, your smartphone down, your iPad down, whatever it is you have tonight? Would you lift your hands and would you ask God to speak through His messenger tonight? God, by the authority of the Word of God and by the power of the name of Jesus, God, I call upon you right now. I pray that you would strengthen my voice tonight. God, I think I pray that you would touch my body tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use these lips of clay. God, use me as a messenger to speak what you have to say to the church tonight. 
and we'll give you praise and we'll give you glory and we'll forever be thankful to you in the name of Jesus. Now, one more time, would you clap your hands and give God praise? You may be seated tonight. I do want to say real quickly, um, don't call names, right? We, know, we learned that this morning, but I'm glad to have my cousin here tonight, Micah Mauser from Green uh, Greentown. I'm all said Greenwood. I don't know what I'm from Greentown, Indiana. So good to have him with us tonight, as well as all of our other guests. Honored that he is here tonight. Preceded by more than a week of heavy rain, a slow moving storm system dropped a tremendous amount of rain across much of Texas and Oklahoma in May of 2015, triggering record breaking floods. And this flood was reported to have, uh, to have caused extensive damage across the state of Texas. Extreme flooding was, re- was responsible for damage to roadways in 167 of 254 counties in Texas, causing at least $27 million in infrastructure damage, as well as 24 deaths across the state of Texas. <clears throat> On May 25th, 2015, <clears throat> excuse me, CNN news anchor Brooke Baldwin interviewed Danny Poland along with his daughter Hannah. Mr. Poland began to share his story of an amazing rescue that took place just a day prior on May 24th, 2015. Mr. Poland worked an evening shift in He was in his truck headed to work and he had just ran some errands and he was now headed down the road to work when he encountered major flooding in the road that caused him to stop and consider an alternate route. While stopped in the road contemplating what he should do next, a police officer approached his truck and told him that he needed to turn around and go back the way that he came from. And as Mr. Poland turned around in the roadway, he turned his truck around and began to drive in the direction that he had just came through minutes before. But Mr. Poland soon realized that the flooding had increased and his truck was now being washed off the roadway. As water levels quickly began to rise, Mr. Poland found himself standing on a three square foot patch of roof that was on the at the top of his truck that was his only was the only part of his vehicle that was not submerged in water mr poland said and i quote my options were gone and i realized it is over he said i have no choice here he said i can stay on this roof and hope that help comes in time. But if I jump and try to swim to safety, then my life is over. Mr. Poland began to accept what he thought was certain death. He pulled out his cell phone and he began to call his family to say goodbye. But the only one that Mr. Poland could reach was his daughter, Hannah. And Hannah gives her account of the phone call 
between she and her father. She said, while on the phone, my dad said, I'm stuck. And I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. This will probably be the last time, Hannah, that you hear from me. Please tell your mother and everyone else in the family that I love them. Because this is most likely the last time that I'll ever get to talk to you. Trying somehow to survive. Trying desperately to find a glimmer of hope. Danny Poland remembered something from his childhood that just might be his only hope for survival. He called 911 and got the operator on the phone and he told them what his exact location was. He told the emergency operator that a helicopter rescue was his only option. He recalled, and I quote, they got right on it, but I still had to wait on top of my truck for about 45 minutes or so before they ever came to get me. He said, I lost all hope. He said, I was certain that I was going to die. I had exhausted every option that I had. He said, I lost all hope. He then says the water began to cover what was left of the roof. And this is a, a direct quote. And he said, I'm either going to jump or be taken away. He said, I found myself praying for just one more chance. I found myself bowing my head, praying to God, God, if you will just get me out of this situation, please give me one more chance. Give me one more chance to hug my family. Give me one more chance to tell my wife that I love her. Give me one more chance to gather my children around and kiss them and let them know how much I love them. The story goes on. The helicopters finally arrived and Danny, Danny Poland was eventually rescued, flown to safety and reunited with his family. But there is a drastic twist in this story that I feel that I need to share with you. Mr. Poland went on to tell the CNN news anchor and he said, I quote, I'm close to what used to be called Gary Air Force Base. He said, as a crow flies, I may be a mile away from the base. You see, Mr. Poland's father was stationed on that base in 1947 when Danny Poland was born. Mr. Poland began to share a memory from his childhood when he said, and I quote, my dad was the very, he, he said, he goes on to say, uh, that, that Gary Air Force Base had the very first squadron of helicopters ever in the military. And he goes on to quote, my dad was the very... Now, you've got to pardon the language here. It's, it's a little jumbled, but you'll get what I'm saying. My dad was the very first helicopters that any military branch had. They brought them down from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. He said, my father was one of the first helicopter rescuers, if not the first in the military, and maybe even the first on the planet. He said he went around the world rescuing people in situations that were dire, in situations 
that were dangerous and they would fly around and fly into places and they would rescue people that were in trouble. But what I want you to hear tonight, Mr. Poland then said, and I quote, my father designed and prototyped the cable system to go down and pick people up where helicopters could not land. He said he prototyped the very thing that just saved my life. Listen to me tonight. In times of trouble, you better hold on to what has been handed down to you. You better hold on to the prayers of a parent, the prayers of a grandparent. When the waters begin to rise, I want to know that I have a firm hold on something that has been proven. I want to know that someone has put it to the test, and I want to know that all the bugs have been worked out. What an amazing story. His dad invented the very thing that would one day save his son's life. He prototyped it. He invented it. And he put a prototype out there. And I want to I read to you the definition of a prototype. It is a first, typical, or primarily, primary model of something, especially a machine, from which all other forms are developed and copied. It is the first. It is the staple. It is the pattern by, by which all future things of that model, all future things of that type of machinery are patterned after and they're designed after. Sure, people take that, that blueprint, they take that prototype, and they begin over time to, to tweak it, and they begin to, to find ways to make it better, and they begin to, to find ways that make it more affordable, and they, make, uh, they, 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 they find things to make it more easy, easily used. Listen to me tonight. I want to hear you, and I'm speaking to you in the Holy Ghost tonight. There are some things that have been handed down to us there are some things that have been proven, that have been handed down to us. They're not just something that someone picked up on the side of the road and said, I think this may help you in your situation. But they have taken it and they have put it to the test. They have put it to the grind and they found that it is something that is worth having. There has been something handed down to us. There has been something that has been entrusted to us. It's not fly by night. It's not a book that you just pick up at barn and noble, but it is something that has withstood the test of time. People have tried, have tried to downplay it, but it has always risen to the top. You better hear me tonight. Don't play around with what has been handed down to us. Don't play around with what what our elders have passed down to us. What they have given their very lives for. What they have given their life's work for. Because it has been proven to work. Clap your hands to the Lord tonight. Give Him praise. The Bible gives us numerous examples of individuals whose motive 
motives were put to the test, whose faith was tried, and who was eventually found and proven to be faithful. In Daniel chapter 3, we read the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being tried by the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar had constructed a golden image, an idol, and he gathered all the people of the kingdom together and instructed all the people that when they heard the music and when the flute began to play and they began to hear the music play, he gave them strict instruction that you were to bow down and worship the idol that I have created. He gathered them and said, you don't have a choice. I'm not leaving it up to you whether you want to or not. But I'm telling you that as soon as you hear the music, I am commanding you. It is the law that you are to bow down and to worship the golden image. All those who didn't bow down at the time, he goes on to say, would be thrown into the midst of a fiery furnace and punishment for disobeying the king would be total and utter death. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got together and they said, boys, we're not going to bow down. I know what King Nebuchadnezzar said and I know that he said that if we didn't and we were caught and we will surely be caught. But if we don't, I got to know guys that we're in this together. I got to know that if I refuse to bow down, Scotty, I got to know that you got my back. I got to know that you're not going to turn on me. I got to know that that when the music plays, that you're not going to bow down and leave me standing here by myself. So they come to a conclusion and said, we are going to take a stand together. We're going to, we've made a decision and we're, we're making a declaration amongst each other. And when the music plays and when everybody else in this kingdom bows down to worship that, that golden image, we're going to make a statement, boys, because we refuse to bow down to the image that the king has created. Listen to me tonight. The world has constructed all kinds of idols. They've constructed all kinds of images. And people all over the world are bowing down to worship them. They're forsaking God for their sports hobbies. They are forsaking God for for hunting. They're forsaking God for for, uh, spending time uh, in, in camping with their family. All sorts of, they've created things that they placed above God. Things that they, they, they count uh, far more dear than a relationship with God. There are people all over the world that are bowing down at, at a rapid pace. But hear me tonight. This is not the time that we can afford to give in. This is the time that we got to stand together and say, hey, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And I, I got to know that you got my back because we're going to stay in this thing together. And we're going to fight for what's right. And we're going to fight for what's God and holy. I'm not going to bow. Boys, we're not going to bow. I know what it means. Guys, you realize that we're going to be thrown into the furnace. And boys, you know that if God doesn't intervene, this is it. If God doesn't intervene, this is going to be the end. If God doesn't intervene, that we're going to burn to our death. In the midst of the fiery furnace. 
You know the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The time that the music played and everyone bowed, they refused. They said, we're not, we're not going to do it. They were brought before the king. The king was furious. And he said, boys, I'm going to give you one more chance. I, I'm going to give you one more chance to change your mind. What you're doing is foolish. Why don't you just bow and everything will be okay. I'll let you go on your merry way and you can live your life any way that you want to. All you have to do is bow down and worship the image. He said, I'm going to give you one more chance. And so they go back and they're there with a multitude of people. And again, the music plays, the flutes, the harps, and everybody bowed down except for three Hebrew boys. They were taken to the king. The king was, was enraged at what was taking place. He was enraged at the fact that they were disobeying his laws. They were in, he was enraged at the fact that they would not worship and do what they were told to do. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered Nebuchadnezzar. He, they said, they, he said, look, 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 O king, we're not even careful to answer you in this matter. The God whom we serve is able to deliver us even from your hand, O king, but we will not bow. God will place you in what seems like an impossible situation in order to prove what you're going to do. Sometimes you have to go through the fire in order for God to prove your faithfulness. God is looking for someone who isn't going to throw in the towel and quit every time that things get hot and every time that things look impossible. But God is looking for somebody who will stand in the midst of adversity will stand even facing the fiery furnace and say I will not bow to what you want me to do will not I will not bow to your image after refusing to bow a second time Nebuchadnezzar enraged with anger orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be bound and cast in the fire. But here's what I want you to know tonight. What Nebuchadnezzar didn't realize was that he was dealing not with just three ordinary boys, but he was dealing with three Hebrew boys that were being tested and tried by fire. What I want to tell somebody here tonight, just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, it may feel like you're facing certain death, but God has a different plan for you, sir. God has a different plan for you, ma'am. I know it may seem impossible. I know that you're thinking, any minute now it's going to take me out, but God is about to step in on the scene in your situation, and He is about to deliver you out of the hand of the mighty King. He's about to deliver you out of the hand of the enemy that is vexing you. The fire, the Bible tells us, was so intense and so hot that the men who were charged to cast them in died on the outside of the furnace when the flames leapt and overtook them. You see, they were not 
conditioned for the fire. They were not conditioned for the fire. Hear me tonight. I know that it's hard. I know that sometimes it gets tough. I know sometimes you want to throw in the towel and you just want to walk away and say, I, 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 can't, I can't take it. I, I can't take it anymore. I, I, I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of my rope. And I don't think that I can take one more attack. I don't think that I can take one more flame lip nipping at my heels. But what I want to tell you tonight, whatever it is that you may be facing, whatever it is that you're being tested with, whatever it is that you're being tried with, God has conditioned you to take it. God has conditioned you to go through it. So go ahead and walk on in. If it's a furnace, go ahead and jump in the flames. If it's a flood, go ahead and take off swimming in the water. Because God has conditioned you and he has given you everything that you need to make it. Somebody give God praise in the house tonight. Somebody thank God for conditioning you for what you're going through. Thank God for conditioning you for what you may go through in the future. You know the story. They fall into the furnace, but the flames did not consume them. They fell into the furnace, but their clothes never caught fire. They fell into the furnace, but they certainly did not die. Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible tells us, he looked into the furnace and he grabbed one of his men. He said, hey, hey, bro, uh, did we not put three guys in that furnace? Yes, king, yes, yes, we did. We, we put three. Are you sure? That you put three men in that furnace. Yes, sir. I, I, I guarantee you that that's what happened. He said, but I just looked in the midst of the fire. And I didn't see three guys. But I saw four guys. And the fourth looks as unto the Son of God. He, he, he was saying, I looked into the fire. And, I, and I'm baffled at the very, the very thought that they're not burning to death. I, I'm baffled that there are not screams of pain. I'm, I'm baffled that there's not a smell of burnt flesh. But when I look into there, I'm also baffled that I see four people when we threw just three people into the furnace and that one he looks like the son of God listen they were in the fire they were in the furnace but they were not alone they were in the middle of it they were in the up to their ankles, but they were not alone. And what I want to tell you tonight, that though you may go through it, and though you may be tried with fire, you will not be alone. I know sometimes it feels like you're alone, but you are never alone because God is right there with you, and He has already made a way of escape for you.
already made a way of escape for you. Even though they still had to go through the fire, God had conditioned them for the fire. God had conditioned you for your situation. God wants to know that you're willing to go through the trying process. The Bible says this about the trying process. The Bible says the trying of your faith is found more precious than gold that though it perish, that it be tried with fire. It is in the fire that God begins to remove the impurities from our life. It is in the fire that the refining process begins to take place. It's in the fire that God starts to remake us into what He would have us to be. So I say to you tonight, rejoice in your trial because God is seeing something in you that is of worth. He is preparing you for greatness. Know that He is remaking you in to what he wants you to be. You read this, the account of David, the giant killer. See, David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. And while his older brothers went with Saul to fight the Philistine army and their champion Goliath, David was at home tending after his father's sheep. After all, battle was for the men, not for the boys. So David was relegated to watching sheep on a hillside. Jesse called David to take food to Israel's camp for his brothers. And at the time that David arrives at the camp, Israel is lining up for battle. And Goliath, their champion, Goliath the, the giant, had made an appearance and the men of Israel ran to hide out of fear of Goliath. In the minds of the men of Israel, they had already been defeated by the giant. David goes in and he asks, who is the uncircumcised Philistine? Pastor preached it here a while ago that he never called Goliath by name and he never called him a giant. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. He said, who is this dog? Who is the guy that you guys are running from and hiding from and shaking in your boots about? Who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this guy think that he is? And who among you is going to teach him a lesson? You see, unwillingness to engage in battle will always lead to defeat. If we don't fight, then we've accepted defeat. If we have exhausted what we think are all of our options, and we throw in the towel and say, that's it. I'm going to draw one more breath. And then I'm going to die. I, I, I'm going to eat one more meal. Me and my son and then we're going to die. If we, if we accept 
If we accept the fact that we're not going to go and fight, if we're not going to step out in the battlefield and we're going to stay on the sidelines, then we are facing certain defeat. There has never been a battle won on the sideline. There has never, Scott, never been a basketball game. There's never been a football game won by the guys staying on the sidelines and say, boys, you go ahead and have it, but we're just gonna we're gonna stay on the sidelines, but but we really want to win this game. No, there's never been a game won from the sidelines. And so Israel was okay with running into their tents and hiding. Because after all, for the newcomer, that was a giant on the other side of the valley. And if we go out there, he is way bigger than we are. He is way stronger than we are. If we go out there, then we're just going to be pummeled to death. If we go out there, then that giant's just going to cut our head off with his sword and, and, and we're going to die there in this valley. So I'm going to go into my tent and I'm going to hide and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put, bury my head in the sand and I'm just going to stay here because I know if I stay here, then at least I'm going to live. At least I may be defeated. I may lose the battle, but at least I still have my life. I may lose the battle, but I'll at least walk away from this place and go home to my family. And I'll face them and, and, we'll, have, and we'll have a nice life. And although that I live defeated, I, I'll still have the breath in my lungs. You see, the only way to ensure victory is to engage in the battle. The only way to ensure victory is to engage in the test. The only way to ensure victory is to engage in the trial. I don't care how scary it looks. I don't care how hot the flames are. I don't care how high the walls are. But baby, you better engage in what God is calling you to engage in. You can sit on the sideline if you want to. And you can accept defeat. But God is looking not for someone to stay on the sideline. But God is looking for someone to go on the battlefield and fight the battle that is before you. Looking for someone that has faith enough to say, I know it looks grim. I know it looks impossible. But I'm going to fight. I'm going to engage in the battle. If you won't do it for you, do it for your future generations. I'm going to speak to the elders in this place tonight. And I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful, and that's not what I am trying to do tonight. If you won't do it for you, do it for the younger generation. I know you fought hard. I know battles have been tough. And I know that you've got some scars and you've got some wounds from battle. 
But now's not the time to give up. Now's not the time to go sit on the sideline and say, I think I'll let somebody else handle it. If we do that, if, if all of us take that attitude, then there's going to be no one to fight. If we all take that attitude, there is not going to be an example for this younger generation to follow. We don't want to raise a, a generation of sideline dwellers, but we want to raise a generation of, of, of warriors. We want to raise a generation that will stand up in this hour and declare we will fight the giant and we will be victorious come on somebody clap your hands to the Lord I wish our elders would clap your hands to the Lord tonight if you just engage in the battle, there's no telling how many lives you will save in the future. David goes before Saul and he says, if, he, if nobody else will fight this giant, if no one else will fight this uncircumcised Philistine, I will fight him. This boy, this lad said, I will fight the giant. If my brothers who are bigger and stronger than I am, if they won't go out on the battlefield then I'll go out in the battlefield. If your strongest, bravest man doesn't have the courage to go out and fight that man, then I'll go out and fight that man. And Saul begins to protest, but David quickly lets the king know, I've killed a lion, and I've killed a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will fall to the same fate. Hear me tonight. The lion and the bear were never after David. They were after his flock. Goliath wasn't after David. Goliath couldn't care less who this lad was. It wasn't David that Goliath wanted to defeat, but Goliath was after Israel. Be very careful in assuming that the fight, that the battle is about you. Be very careful in assuming that the, the enemy just wants to attack you and bring you down to its lowest point. That's not what it's about. But it's about a group of people. It's about the body of Christ. And the, and the enemy will come in just like that lion and just like that bear, seeking the weak one out, seeking out the runts, seeking out the littlest one to take on because he knows that if he can take just one, if he can attack just one, then he disrupts the entire flock. So be very careful about assuming that the enemy is just out for you. But the enemy is out for the entire body of Christ. He is out for the church of the living God. And if we stand united together, if we link together in one mind, in one accord, there's no enemy in hell that can come against the church of the living God. There is no enemy in hell that can overcome you. There is no enemy in hell that can take you out. If we stand together and we fight together. You may be seated tonight. I'm hurrying.
Forgive me. But David, the boy, the unlikely, the runt of the group, stepped out on the battlefield. And you know the story. He defeated Goliath with a slingshot, a stone, and Goliath's own sword. Stepped out on the battlefield and did the impossible. The battle was won and the army of God prevailed over the Philistines all because a little boy said, I'm not going to let that enemy, I'm not going to let that man mock and intimidate me into defeat. I'm not going to let that man, I'm not going to let that giant intimidate me and cause me to go hide in a corner and stick my head in the sand and live a defeated life. I may may be defeated. I may lose my life on the battlefield. But one thing I'll tell you for sure, I'm going to fight until my very last breath. If it comes to giving my life on the battlefield, then I'm willing to give it. But I am standing here with all assurity and say that if you will step on the battlefield, God will step onto that field with you and you will be victorious over the enemy. The enemy may be bigger. He may be stronger than you. He may come at me with a sword and and a spear, but I will come against him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord has been tested. It's been tried. And it's been proven to overcome any attack that the enemy can launch against me. It's been tried. And it's been proven to withstand any attack of the enemy. Because the Word of God tells me that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You may say, I only have a slingshot. I don't have a bow. I don't have an arrow. I don't have a sword. Then you use what God has placed in your hand. Because God, just like David, has conditioned you for the fight. He has brought you to this place. And He has put you in this place for the fight that you are facing. So I say go ahead and sling that slingshot and let that rock fly and let it hit its mark. God will step in on the scene and He will cause you to be victorious over the enemy. Clap your hands to the Lord tonight. Not only was David a giant killer, But David taught others. David taught the younger generation to also be giant killers. In 2 Samuel 21, we find David again fighting against the Philistines. However, the battle is much different than that of David's early youth because the Bible tells us that in battle, David waxed faint. David became tired and weak. In battle. In Matthew 21, we read in Ishbanab, which was the son of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, 
and being girded with a, a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, secured, secured, secured him sorry, and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Abishai was one of three sons born to Zeruah, which was David's sister. And we read on in verse 20, And there was yet a battle in Gath, and there was a man of great stature, that had, every, that had every hand six fingers, and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of, of Shema, the brother of David, rose up and slew the giant. You see, after David killed Goliath, David found favor with Saul, so much so that David was set over the men of war. And David was accepted in the sight of all the people. David, through his actions on the battlefield against Goliath, became the prototype, if you will. The form by which all other forms are developed and copied. He was the prototype for the young men who were aspiring to become men of battle. David became the example. My God, help me tonight. David became the example. He became the standard by which all future warriors were measured. He set the precedent on the battlefield. Young men wanted to be like him. And old men wanted to be him. But David knew that it was about much more than just the fact that he killed a giant of a man. Because David understood the significance of passing on the mantle to the next year. Generation, He knew that someday there may be more giants that would arise in the land. And he knew that no one would ever have to face Goliath again, but that there might be a day when Goliath's offspring might show up on the battlefield seeking vengeance. David knew that there was a chance of future giants. He that he then he was going to have to rise raise up a a generation of giant killers. David knew that by facing Goliath he might one day give someone else the courage to stand and face their own giant. Uh, our elders have prototyped the very thing that just might save our lives. It is up to you and it is up to me to take and to do something with what has been given to us. It's time for this generation to raise up a younger generation of warriors in battle. A younger generation of giant killers that will step onto the battlefield and will fight until the very end. How How are future generations going to know what is at their disposal if we never show them? How are they going to know how to defeat, how to defeat a giant if we never teach them? How are they going to know, Pastor, how to wield a sword if we never show them? 
And if we never show them, all that does is to make certain that one day a giant will show up and will destroy the army of God. I close with this tonight. Jesus is our prototype, if you will. Jesus has been tried, been tested, and the name of Jesus has been proven. Jesus, if you will, is our example. And we are to follow His example. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Though He suffered and shed His blood, it wasn't for His salvation. It was for ours. He did it for us. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For even here unto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us. Listen, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. Who did no sin. Neither was guile found in His mouth. Who, when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray. But are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Jesus led us by example. Jesus walked down the road of salvation that no one had ever walked before. But he did it, Brother Duggar, as our model. He did it as our prototype in order to show us the path that leads to everlasting life. Jesus didn't need the cross, Jesus didn't need rescuing. Danny Poland's father wasn't the one that needed 
or that would need the cable system that he was inventing, but rather his son would someday needed the work of his hand. Danny Poland was the recipient of his father's work. And we, as children of God, are the recipient of our father's work. We're the beneficiary of our father's work. We are the benefactor the price that he paid for us. He was 100% man and he was 100% God. He knew no sin. He had no need for salvation. He had no need to be rescued from sin. He had no need to be rescued on the battlefield. But He came. And He gave us an example of how we are to live. He gave us an example on how we should walk and how we should talk and how we should, how we should honor the things of God. He told us, he taught us that it was the blood shed on an old rugged cross that would pay the price for our sin. He taught us how we should conduct ourselves in this world. He, he taught us how we should live in a sinful world, yet we should live above sin. He taught us that we were lowly, wretched sinners in need of salvation. But we could not remit our own sin. And the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice of that day could not remit sin. It could only push it back for a little while. And he knew that if he were not to die as a lamb for the slaughter, and if he was not to shed his blood, then there would be no hope for us. We would have no hope of salvation. And he taught us the steps to salvation. He said, except a man be born again of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He said, through his servant Peter, that you must repent. You must be baptized. You must be filled with the Holy Ghost. The evidence of speaking in other tongues. As the Word of God says. He said that you've got to live 
a holy and separate lifestyle. He said you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be spat upon. People are going to mock you. People are going to say all sorts of things about you. They're going to find fault with you. They're going to reject you. They're going to, re- they're going to turn their back on you. Some of you may even die for the gospel. Some of you may be called to lay down your very life. But what I've brought to you, what I prototype for you, what I sacrificed for, but he also said that if we walk holy, and if we live righteously, if we follow the plan of salvation, that one day we would hear him say, well done. Brother Duggar, I believe that one day and one day very soon we're going to stand before Him. And I have no Bible for this, but I, I, I can just imagine God looking at us and saying, I know it was hard. I know you got tired and I, I, I know that you thought about giving up and I know that you thought about I know you thought about ending it all a time or two. But you don't have to worry about that anymore. Never again will you have to go through that. Never again will you have to face a trial. Never again in my kingdom will a tear be shed. Never again will you have to complain because the road was too tough. Never again will you have to fight an enemy on the battlefield. Never again will you have to be ridiculed. Never again will you have to be beaten. Never again will I require you to lay down your life for my sake. Never again will you have to worry and fret about sickness because there's no more sickness to be had. Stand with me tonight. I don't know I don't know what it is you're facing tonight. I I don't I, I don't know what kind of test or what kind of trial that you're going through tonight. But I want to tell you that whatever it is, this too shall pass. It's just for a season. It's momentary. It won't last always. The Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I know it's tough right now, but if you could just fight, I know it's tough, but if you could just stand on that little three square foot patch of roof when the waters are raging all around you, if you will just stay there, help 
is on the way. If you will just hold on to anything that you can get a hold of and just hold on, help is on the way. If you can just just keep taking one breath after another and putting one foot in front of the other, help is on the way. I'm here to tell somebody tonight that your help is on the way. Your help is coming down the road. Your help is just over the horizon. Would you lift your hands all across this building right now? Would you lift your hands all across this building right now? And would you begin to worship and would you begin to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you begin to give Him glory and praise in the middle of your test? Would you give Him glory and praise in the middle of your trial? Would you go ahead and give Him praise because He is proving you. He has proven you to be faithful. He has proven you to be powerful in the face of an enemy. He has, tra- he has proven you to be a killer of giants that are standing before you. I open this altar tonight. Would you come? I don't know who it is that is facing a trial. I don't know who I'm speaking to tonight, but God has sent me here tonight to tell you that this too is about to pass. This too is just about to end. You are about to walk I know that you may be in the fire right now. I know that you may be in the flood right now. But I have already made a way of escape for you. I don't know what happened to you today. I don't know what he said about you today. I don't know how he belittled you today. But God is telling you that this too shall pass. But God's conditioned you for the fight. God's conditioned you for the battle. God knows that you can take it. He'll never put any more on you than you're able to bear. God, you can make it. You just got to get out on the battlefield and you got to fight. You got to fight to the very end and you will be victorious. in your hands. Hold on to what has been prototyped before you and what has been given down to you that has been tried. It's been tested and it's been proven. If you'll just hold on, God's going to bring you through.